It's Tuesday, April 9th, 2019. I'm Herbie Newell, and this is the Defender Podcast, a daily encouragement to mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This daily podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. Well, today we are honored to be joined by Jessica Roberts, and Jessica and her husband Rhodes have adopted one little girl, Leona, from China. They also have two other daughters, uh, Ava and Ellery, and they live in Birmingham, Alabama. And today I wanted Jessica to come and just tell us a little bit more about her story of faith, uh, her story of growing up, and ultimately how all of this led her and Rhodes to the the part uh, of how they have seen Leona's adoption play in their life in so many different ways. So thanks for joining us, Jessica. Well, I'm so grateful to be joined by Jessica Roberts, and Jessica lives in Birmingham, Alabama with Rhodes and her three daughters, and uh, one of her daughters is adopted from China, and so they have, the Roberts have gone through the adoption process and gone to China and brought this daughter home, Um, and so we just want to bring Jessica in because she has such an impactful story of what the Lord has done in her life and the way that he has used her story of redemption even today in the life of her family and and how adoption has worked into that. So Jessica, thanks first for joining us on the Defender Podcast. Thank you for having me. So tell us a little bit about your family situation growing up and just a little bit about this history. Okay. Um, I was born into a family that had a long history of abuse, generational abuse, and not even just physical, but neglect and hard-heartedness and coldness on both sides. And so that's just the way I was brought into the world. And Christ was never a part of the picture. So I, I may have been to church services at some point, but by and large had no idea. I had never heard the word gospel before. I had no um, concept of community or biblical community. Um, all the way to not understanding what Christmas was or even Easter was very confusing for me. Um, Bunnies and eggs and across. I had no um, capacity to even link those together and no one ever shared with me. Mm. Um, And so what that means is that I also did not have a concept of indwelling sin and the need to have something made of that Mm. and to have that made right. And um, so that looks the way it would for anybody. Um, There were poor decisions made um, for me when uh, by my parents. So they got divorced when I was 11 years old and I have an older sister and a younger brother. Um, And my dad moved away and my mom remarried and then my dad eventually remarried and they had a very um, volatile, hostile relationship, even in divorce. And so just really always felt completely um, irrelevant. Mm. I did, and like I didn't matter or wasn't seen mm. or known. Um, I, when I think about my childhood and my young adulthood, it's, it's like the only word I can come up with is confused. Mm. I was so lost and confused and had no clue that there was a good, that there was even goodness. Mm. Okay, so... Um, then my, uh, so my parents were both divorced and remarried, um, and the lifestyle that my 
uh, we lived with my mom and my stepdad, and that lifestyle was just real self-pleasing. Do whatever you want. Um, and so in that case, when, when children are left to that, they make all sorts of decisions that are unhealthy, um, and we can use our imagination there. But, but the, the important things I, I think about are that I have no uh, understanding of honor, to honor my parents, to honor um, and respect other adults. I did what I wanted and when I wanted, and I didn't really care how it impacted anybody. Um, and I also didn't have much concern for my future, mm. my body, my brain, my heart. I didn't even think about those things. And so I spent my time finding ways to try and find identity. Mm. Uh, so that looked like everything from the environment that I was growing up with, so trying to be a part of the crowd and be a part of the, the party crowd and with my friends. And then in college, that just continued seeking identity in my um, the, the decision I made for my major and just lost and confused, lonely, and really had no, um, I didn't really know that I was seen or loved or known at all. And ultimately, I think that's what I was looking for because we all are. Mm -hmm. So when I was um, a junior in college, I met my first husband, Tell is his uh, middle name, and that's what he went by. And I met him in a uh, kind of a strange way that he, um, he was on leave. He was in the military, and I was living in Montana at the time, and, um, and he was on leave. That's where he's from. And I met him, and he um, he saw me for the first time. I guess that was what it felt like to mm. be seen and noticed, I guess. And so that's kind of, that's the story that leads up to, to, to kind of where my life was changed at that point. Um, but ultimately, I had a, when I think about now, I can speak quickly through my childhood, and some of us can, mm -hmm. but really learning about what how important it is in childhood mm -hmm. to to be led well and loved well and cared for um there's a lot there mm. of pain and mm -hmm. loneliness and sadness so that's kind of how i grew up and um my brother sister and i none of us knew the lord at all mm. and um wouldn't have even been looking for that and we didn't when I've lived in 10 states so I have to say that because I don't have a home state I don't have all my family in one place and I didn't grow up in the south and so I know it sounds strange but um, it wasn't really even that unusual mm -hmm. to be honest with you I wasn't surrounded by everybody going to church and everybody mm -hmm. being a part of a faith family and I was outside and alone I didn't know anybody that did that mm -hmm. and so if there were Christians around I was not no one ever told anything to me. Mm -hmm. so. And that really just signifies the importance of speaking the gospel. Uh, you know, I think of Romans 10, you know, how will they, how will they know of whom they have never heard? And how will they hear without someone preaching? Right. You know, if we don't preach the gospel and we just make this assumption mm -hmm. that almost by osmosis, people are going to know the gospel because we're living it. I mean, how, how scary would it be to find out that, as you're living this childhood, that there are next door neighbors that did know the gospel and never spoke it, absolutely, uh, and never said it. And I think just uh, that brief story highlights the importance that we can never assume 
that our next door neighbors, that people even in our sphere of influence know the gospel. We have to preach it. We have to speak it. Yes. Um, and it just also shows us we can never judge what's going on somewhere else, that it's healthy or safe. Um, so, you know, you get to this story, uh, you meet your first husband, and, and you, you, you signify it. So there's this turning point. Yes. Talk a little bit about how you went from lonely and almost, you said the word irrelevant, mm -hmm. to being noticed yeah. and then ultimately being noticed by a Savior. So mm -hmm. talk a little bit about coming to know the Lord and becoming a follower of Christ. So that is really, it hits the nail on the head. When he expressed interest in me, I was completely flabbergasted. How can this person who seems to have things together have any interest in me? Well, he wouldn't, he was relentless and, and confident. And I was confused. Like, are you actually talking to me? Um, but I, I know the Lord had reasons for all of this. And so we, he came home on leave. I meet him. We have this week of just dinner every night mm. and um, like on the phone forever because he was about to deploy on his first deployment to Afghanistan. And so I thought I would say, see you later. And then that would have been a sweet thing and it would have just been gone. And he said, would you write to me? And I was, I could have written him a novel. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so we did, he was gone eight months. He was deployed eight months and we wrote almost every day. And I learned everything about him. And he learned everything about me and wasn't scared off. And that was, I had never been vulnerable with anybody before and, and shared some of the hard stuff that I had been through. Um, and he never, he, he seemed to be, nonplussed by my brokenness mm. and so that just I was it was like a magnet so he comes back and I'm gonna fast forward because this like flip-flopping he was he was gone and his he was stationed in North Carolina at Fort Bragg so he's with the 82nd Airborne and I am in Montana or and actually in South Dakota finishing nursing school and so I basically saw him four more times when he had come home on leave from the time he got back from Afghanistan before um, up comes another deployment. And it was just about a year after we had actually met and um, he was home on Christmas block leave. And right on Christmas Eve, we we're going out, they have a, a, a beef operation. So they live way out in the country in Montana. And so we're driving out there, it's like, I think it's, it's like 39, it's a long ways. And he pulls this truck over and um, he, he, he kind of goes on and on about the sunset, but anyway, he proposes to me <laughs> and of course I, I just had never thought anybody would want to commit to me. Mm. So I said, yes. And well, that evening he says, well, what if, uh, what if we eloped like tomorrow? <laughs> and I said, well, t tomorrow's Christmas. Like I have, I feel like the, the, um, courthouse would be closed. And he said, okay, how about the day after? And so we did. Mm. We didn't tell anybody, and that is not that is not the right way to do things. <laughs> to be honest, it seemed exciting, and I know mm -hmm. this is that mentality where you, nothing has consequences. Mm -hmm. um, and I did I didn't honor my mom, but I didn't know to. But I looking back, wow, that was mm. that's hateful. Um, anyway, we eloped, and he leaves for another deployment, and um, and he comes back. So this kind of goes back and forth, and we're but we're married. 
and we, through the course of this new marriage, we moved to North Carolina, and then we're settling in, and I am an army wife, <laughs> and I latch on because, and I, as I was thinking over my, this, this, this particular, this is my story, I figured out some things. In the military, they give you an ID card, so you have something that says who you are. And he's wearing a uniform, so he's known by the community as to what he's doing. Mm. My name is now his, and I'm Gray's wife, so I'm called by his name. Mm. And we have community gatherings. It's, it's the wives get together, the companies get together, and it's this really tight community. And I had never experienced anything like that before. And I, without knowing these words, what I found was my identity. And I ate it up. Mm. I was, I mean, using my ID card, I had access on post. I had access to the thing that was set apart, right? And um, so it was so important to me to be an army wife, and I'm so proud of him and what he did, and I was wrapped up in all of that. Well, in um, 2006, he, um, his unit comes up for another deployment, this time to Iraq, and, um, but this was going to be a fast one, just six months. The day he leaves, I find out I'm pregnant, the very day. Um, and I was very sick, and now I'm going to have a human being, and he's gone. And at this point, I was like, I'm not so sure I like this anymore. But um, he leaves, and I do pregnancy by myself. And um, But then he does come home. He comes home December 2006, and he's home about 24 hours. And they get word that they're actually going to go right back. They didn't know that, and we hadn't planned on that. And I was going to have a baby, and um, so they we had we were supposed to have 22 days before they had to go right back mm. have leave, and so we planned our honeymoon. We never got a honeymoon. Remember, <laughs> we eloped. We didn't have a honeymoon, um, and so we had planned our honeymoon, and we were going to go to D.C. He always wanted to see Arlington. He'd never been to D.C. before, and I um, and I was excited, so we had our. Our books and we got in the car and we we're driving up the interstate and his cell phone rings and it's his um, I think it's his platoon sergeant and he says they've cut it short we're leaving in four days mm -hmm. so we had to turn around we were right outside Richmond Virginia turn around and he was so mad and I was so sad mm -hmm. and this and and they were very upfront with them saying this is part of this surge where they were sending many more troops over at that, at that time, and there was no um, end date. Mm. Don't even plan on an end date. And I spent my life with him counting down to when he would come home. Mm. And so now we didn't have an end date. Um, well, he, um, and at this point, I'm getting weary of all of this. Mm. Well, he leaves, and from that time of when he left in January, of 2007 until he came home on R&R, &R, um, I mean, they just were going. He said it was just, there was a word he used for how hard they were working, like going. And he was an infantry soldier, and so they were they were working in, in ways that 
there's combat, and I think he was weary too. Well, he he was able to to get an R and R, so um, rest and recuperation. I think mm-hmm. is what that means. Um, and they come back for two weeks. They get 14 days sleep. So he says, I'm going to try to plan it for when the baby's due. And um, I said, okay, we'll try a little after so that I don't want you to, like, be here and then she be late and mm-hmm. then you don't get to see her at all. Well, he he she was late and he had scheduled it for after. So he was on speakerphone while I was on, <laughs> while I was in labor. So I had my first daughter with, with him far away. And, um, and... I kept telling myself, if he can go through ranger school, if he can be an infantry soldier, I can have a baby. This is easy. Who does this? Um, anyway, so he is home on r and It was really hard. He comes in four days after she's born, and he smells. He hadn't showered since Baghdad. He was skinny, and he just looked like war. He smelled like it, I guess. And it was just hitting me hard. Like, we have a family, and this identity that I have isn't serving me right Mm -hmm. now. It's a sacrifice. Mm -hmm. But I kind of mustered it up and thought, this isn't worthy sacrifice. I Mm -hmm. can do this. Well, those two weeks he was home, it was really hard. I mean, you're a dad. Mm -hmm. Right after the baby's born, it's it's not roses, and Mm -hmm. it's hard. (laughs) And I hadn't seen him. And so I, I stood in the hospital room thinking I could like do side bends to make my belly go away. I was just, it was just the weirdest, most awkward time. And he's home for two weeks and I, and then he had to go. And I, I, I remember us kind of arguing because I was like, you're not going to be here. Let me do all of this by myself. He wanted to carry the bucket. And I said, let me do this by myself because you're leaving again. Mm-hmm. And then he had to leave. And so he held Ava and kissed her and kissed me and we didn't say goodbye because we don't do that and I said you have to come home because look at this mm. and then he didn't mm. and so five months later so that was April and then in September and in those five months it just got even more difficult I'm having these new joys with a baby mm. Her smile. I took pictures on Memorial Day. Um, I bought a dress for her and then sent him July 4th and sent him all her firsts. He's mm-hmm. getting new pictures. Um, and this was way before FaceTime or Skype. None. We didn't have anything like that. We had the phone and, that, and letters. Um, and they had, um, in August, they um, were on some mission and they had already lost a couple guys, I think. And then by August, our dear friend and a guy who went to ranger school with Tell was shot in the head one time that they were out. And um, and I know he was just weary. And when that night that I found out about Jeremy being shot, I got down on my knees. Mm-hmm. I remember this. And I was praying, mm-hmm. I think. <laughs> but to whom? Yeah. I don't know. And I, I remember thinking it was a jinx sort of thing, this deal you have with God. If he's listening, don't ask for the things that you really want mm. because you're not going to get them. So I never once asked. I never once prayed, please don't let him die. Mm. I just said, please let him be strong. Mm-hmm. I, when I would do this prayer thing that I didn't really know what I was doing. 
But that night, I, I got on my knees by my the computer and I prayed, God, don't he can't die. I, I will die if he dies. You please don't let him die. And two weeks later is when I got a notification. So I was coming, this was September 10th, and it was, I think it was right after Labor Day, and I had been at the beach with my mom in Oak Island, North Carolina. She was a traveling nurse. She asked if we'd come spend the weekend with her. So I talked to him on the phone right before we left, and he said, um, I have to let you go so that you can get packed. And I love you, Lobster. He called me Lobster. And please take pictures of Ava, her first time at the beach. And so we took her to the beach and put her little toes in the water. And her little hair was blowing. And I just was, I felt really melancholy that time. And really yearning mm. something, please. This is, a, I have a family, please, please. This is, this is safety and contentment, mm. please. And I, that night I laid there and I was laying in bed with my mom right before I went home the next day. And I remember laying there saying, this this can't change. I have Ava, I have Tell, please. And, um, and then the next day I drive home and I get her settled in her um, swing for nap time. And I'm getting on MySpace, remember MySpace? Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't know, I didn't really care, and Tell was never on there, but his friend was. It was in his platoon. And I always knew they were at the, the base if his friend had been online. Because you could see when people were That's online. Right. Okay, he hadn't been online for three days. And I hadn't heard anything. And I was really confused. And, and actually, a friend had called while I was driving back from Oak Island, and she said, have you heard if there's an accident? She had known something which she wasn't supposed to know, and she was calling to see if I knew, which is totally not um, the way things are supposed to be done there. So I had something inside of me was saying, something's not right. And then the doorbell rang. And um, I... Um, Actually, I couldn't look out the peephole because I had a sign for fall at the door. And so I looked out the laundry room and I could see these two guys in uniform sitting on my porch and there's no other reason why they sit mm. there. And everybody's seen that in movies. And when they came and I opened the door and they say a, sh- a spiel of some sort on behalf of the secretary. I don't know what they said, to be honest. <laughs> they say something. But I don't know what it was, but I knew what they were saying. And, um, and I just remember no coming out because this meant that I didn't exist anymore. Mm. Because if Tell didn't exist, I didn't exist. And so that mm. day was really hard. And it's still hard. I mean, it's been almost 12 years, and it's still hard for me to think about, um, obviously. But there was this weird, um, I went into his closet and put everything that he had on me. And I smelled a shirt that I kept on my bed and sat there and sniffed it. And um, I stared at a picture of us. And I was like, this is not, this can't happen because Life doesn't exist mm. without this. I can't do this. And I, I threw up. I was sick. Mm. I mean, all this stuff, just this overwhelming grief. And they, they send in, it's interesting, they send in like a psychologist or something. 
I don't understand. I, I wish I could go back and be like, what was the plan there? But I, he found me in, in the bathroom, on the floor of the closet, and I was holding this picture, and he said, if you had a happy marriage, this is going to be terribly hard for you. <laughs> I don't feel like it was very helpful, but I've never forgotten that because I, he wasn't right. His prediction wasn't right, but not for the reasons, not because of a happy or unhappy mm -hmm. marriage. It's because God entered in. Right. God was always there, but he entered in and opened my eyes. Mm -hmm. And there actually came a piece that I would wrestle with what this psychologist said over time. Like, am I supposed to be more devastated than I am? Mm -hmm. But there came a piece because there was a turning point just a couple weeks after he died which is when his funeral was, when I knew this was it, this when he goes into the ground, I die also. Mm. And if I didn't die, then that means I had to live. Mm. And um, at that point is when I felt I could go one of two directions. I can go the direction I was brought up to go, mm. which is make this this thing about grief about how devastated i am i could have fallen back into destructive patterns of sin that um that would have been very comfortable and familiar to me um, to deal with grief but something kept there i could see a, a fork and something kept pushing me in this one direction and then my a friend sent a sympathy card and um, her dad's a pastor in Mississippi. I didn't know this about her. Um, and so there was a bunch of verses on it. And I thought, I'm supposed to do something with this. And I started looking them up. I found a Bible. I think it was my mom's, which is all kind of weird. <laughs> I don't know where it came from. And um, started reading. And I was actually reading something that doesn't, now I see it doesn't apply to grief, mm. per se. It was Psalm 139. Mm -hmm. And it, I kept seeing, you, you've searched me, you've known me since before I was in my mother's womb. You knitted me together. Mm. And I, at one point, I was thinking this was Tell speaking to me from beyond. And it, but that wasn't settling. Mm. It was something else, that somebody knew me mm. and that there was something that I needed to do in this direction. So it was started with the Word of God, and that's just how the Lord opened my eyes to the reality that He is there. Wow. So even just for a recap, you know, you grow up feeling irrelevant. Yeah. You find your identity in a husband, and even, even more in being a, a soldier's wife. Mm -hmm. Um, the the ID card, the uniform, this husband who you love dies, and you feel like you lose your identity, yeah. only to be found in Christ. And how how beautiful the story of redemption, yeah. our God is, that through the peaks and the valleys, like you said, He was always there, mm -hmm. um, watching over caring for you, even at the right time having this friend who you didn't even know right. her dad was a pastor, sends you this card of all people. Um, and to put these verses on there that the Lord uses. And, and, and I hear what you say. Maybe Psalm 139 isn't what we read at funerals. Right. But we also know our God is a God of all comfort. Yeah. 
2 uh, Corinthians chapter 1, we go through various trials in order to experience the comfort of the Lord in order to comfort others. And so God's word is comforting because it is that story that is your story, right. which is one of feeling irrelevant and lost and alone and having a God that ultimately pursues us. Yes. Wow. Like he used the text that met the need mm. that was very specific. Right. He he used different texts for all people that we hear when they the, when the word of God somehow opens their their mind and their heart. And isn't it interesting? It's it's never the same one mm-hmm. because God He's crafted me, right. and He knew my deepest need was to to actually understand that I was that somebody saw me mm. and somebody that's infinitely eternal. Mm. And so that I at first for a long time I I thought. How can I tell someone? Not when once I finally was like, well, Psalm one thirty nine. That really wasn't the wasn't the Roman. wasn't the It wasn't the picture of like um, a sinner in need of a savior. And in fact, that came later. It really did. That wasn't the way I um, came to Christ was through knowledge of sin. I did, but God said He in His wisdom He met me in a place where I just was like the vapor mm. and I was ready to just disappear mm. had I not had a little five month old six month old baby you know yeah praise God for his wisdom yeah God is sovereign yeah. and we have to remember he's at work in salvation and so in some ways it's freeing for us as we go and tell others about Christ it's not dependent upon what we say or how we say it or what we or what we say, or how we say it, or where we go. But God knows those that he is calling to himself, and he will give us the words and equip us um, in those times. Well, join us tomorrow as we hear the rest of Jessica's story, as she continues to tell us of the, the way that the gospel has played such a, a pivotal role in her life. And so I know you will not want to hear the rest of Jessica's story that we will have tomorrow on the Defender podcast. If you've enjoyed today's podcast or, or the Defender podcast in general, would you please go on to iTunes or to your favorite podcast listing app and rate us? Uh, the more people that rate the Defender podcast, the the more people that are able to find the podcast and listen to the content that we're putting out, like Jessica's story and other things that we're putting out, our Monday morning Bible study, other interviews and other content. So if you will, take a moment now and rate us on your favorite podcast listening app. And then also, would you email us at info at lifelinechild.org and tell us what you're enjoying about the podcast and maybe things that you'd like to hear or just make any comments that you would about the Defender podcast. Well, thanks for listening to Defender podcast. For more information or to connect with me, please visit HerbieNewell.com. To partner with Lifeline, visit LifelineChild.org. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at LifelineChild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel to you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again tomorrow for the Defender Podcast.